0: Well, our sermon this morning comes from John chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 5. John chapter 1 and verse 5. It's good to be here with you today, worshiping our great God and His great grace. Hear now the Word of God. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Let us pray together. Father, we come now to this time which we set aside every week that we might hear from you, that your word might come into our hearts and into our minds. It may penetrate us, that we may know you, that we may follow you, that we may love you and obey you, that our faith may grow in you. And so, Father, I ask you, we ask you now, as we set aside this time, that you would speak through this word to those who need to hear you. I trust their needs are various some desperately need to be encouraged with your love. Some need to be challenged out of sin. Some need to be brought to faith in Jesus. And so, will you please come now? Will you please, out of your great kindness to us and your spirit, that we may know you and love you better? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hugh Latimer, a famous preacher of old, once preached to the somewhat volatile. King Henry VIII. He was somewhat intimidated, perhaps, um, as to the great king's presence in his congregation. In fact, while he was preaching, he began to dialogue with himself. He said, Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore, take heed that thou speak not a word that may displeasure. But, then consider well, Hugh, dost thou not know from whence thou comes, upon whose message thou art sent, even by the great and mighty God, who is all-present, and who beholds all thy ways, and who is able to cast thy soul into hell. Therefore, take care that thou delivers thy message Faithfully. And he did. And the great king was greatly offended at what this preacher proclaimed. In fact, he was so offended that the king was to come back the following week and secure from Hugh Latimer a public apology. And so, their great King Henry VIII sat once again in his congregation, and rather than receiving an apology from this preacher, he actually received the exact same sermon. But this time, uh, the historians tell us, with even more zeal. I would have liked to have been there for that sermon. I would have liked to have heard that message. Or perhaps consider Martin Luther, who stood before the Diet of Worms on April 18, 1521, and there before him was arrayed all the princes and theologians of the church, including Charles of Maximilian, the Lord of Burgundy, Austria, Naples, Spain, the Low Countries, the Holy Roman Emperor himself. There, Luther was charged by everyone there to recant of his teaching, to deny his writings. And he would say to those who stood before him, I do not accept the authority of popes or councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. God help me. Amen. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. I would have liked to have been there for that, heard that message, or perhaps consider the great famous American Methodist preacher, Peter Cartwright, who once preached to President Andrew Jackson. He himself was also cautioned not to offend this great president. When Peter Cartwright took the pulpit, he declared, I understand Andrew Jackson is here. I have been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. (laughs) I would have liked to have been there for that. In fact, it is recorded that President Jackson, after the service, came up to Cartwright and said, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. (laughs) There was a day in which our brother Peter stood before Masses, gathered at Pentecost, and declared... Let all know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I would have liked to have been there to hear that. Or consider John who was... Bound before the Sanhedrin, even before Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, and he himself declared, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help but speaking about the things that we have seen and heard. I would have liked to have been there to hear that. I very much appreciate those men who have with great courage proclaimed the unadulterated word of God regardless of the consequences. I would have liked to have heard these great and famous sermons, but I think I think I would probably pass all of these up if I could just one time hear that great old covenant prophet John the Baptist himself from his watery pulpit declared to the arrayed Pharisees and scribes you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. I want to talk to you about this man named John we call him John the Baptist although he's never referred to as such in this gospel. In fact, I think he's probably would be better known to us as John the witness. You notice in verse 7, the Bible says he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. And again in verse 8, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And notice verse 15, John bore witness. And verse 19, and this is the witness or the testimony of John. In verse 32, we read, and John bore witness. And again in verse 34, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. If we go on to chapter 3, we see that John bore witness six more times. And again in chapter 5, 14 times in total, this gospel tells us this, this old covenant prophet, John, bore witness. Perhaps we can refer to him this morning as John the witness as he comes to declare who Christ is and testify to him. We find ourselves here the second week in John chapter 1 in this uh, brief series that we're calling the Advent of Grace and Truth. For we see in John chapter 1, indeed all of John's gospel, that Jesus has come to do two things. He has come to bring us truth, to show us who God is and who we are in light of who God is. And then in light of that truth, he has come to bring us grace, That he wants to bring us grace in order that we might be saved. And so John would write the purpose statement of his entire gospel in chapter 20 and verse 31 saying, These are written, this gospel is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That you might have this body of truth and place your faith in it. And that by believing you may have life in his name. That you may have grace. That you may have eternal life. And so Jesus has come to do this work. We saw last week that John describes Him as the Word. Jesus is the Word. Today, He'll describe Him as the light. We see that here in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. And so let's consider this morning that the light has come. We see three truths about this text, I think. The, first of all, the light shines in the darkness. Secondly, the light is shared by witnesses. And thirdly, the light is received through faith. So consider with me, first of all, that the light shines in darkness. Note verse 5. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light here is a reference to Jesus. We know this because verse 4 tells us in him was life and the life was the light of man. So in him, that is Jesus. Jesus. He brought the light of men, and then he goes on to explain that this light shines in the darkness. And so we call Jesus here, he's called the light. I think we have to ask the same question as we did last week. Why does John call Jesus the light? Just like we asked, why does he call Jesus the word? Well, I think for very similar reasons, he calls Jesus the light because Jesus comes to bring truth. He comes to enlighten us. He is this great illuminator to truth as we live in the midst of darkness and lies. This is very clear if you look down to verse 9 when it says the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And so Jesus, as the light has come to enlighten us, has come to bring us truth. He is the light. But where did he come to? Well, you notice back in verse 5 that he has come to darkness. The light shines in darkness. This somewhat reminds us of the first creation, doesn't it? As we saw a number of months ago in the book of Genesis, that in the beginning darkness hovered over the face of the deep and God spoke. And and what did he do on that first day of creation? But he created light. Well, once again, God comes to a dark world, but this time it's not dark in the sense that it has no light, but it's dark because it has evil, it has rebellion, it has ignorance, it has unbelief. The world is dark, the Bible says. This is somewhat of a foreign idea, I think, to most of the world, at least most of our, our nation. We assume that we, of course, are basically good, that, that there is no darkness in us, that we are ourselves fine, that we're doing okay, there's not any major problems with us, that we live in a, a world, a land of light, and we are people of the light. Seneca, the, the great Roman uh, uh, poet, once wrote of an ancient Roman jester who, when he lost his sight due to old age, began to rage against those who took care of him as saying, I deserved nothing to be cast out into darkness. For he was unaware that the darkness was within himself. The blindness was within himself. And we all here, all of us, have this spiritual blindness within us. The light has come to darkness. And he has come specifically to free us from darkness and to show us truth, to liberate us from unbelief and rebellion and sin, that we might know him and indeed even know ourselves. Jesus in John chapter 12 says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. He comes to free us from disbelief, from evil, from rebellion, from ignorance. He comes to show us who we are that we might run from that sin. He comes to show us Himself. He wants us to be able to see Him. In fact, when He was praying on the evening before His crucifixion, in that great high priestly prayer in John 17, the Lord said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, that they may see my glory. Jesus has come to show us, God. He's come to show us himself. He has come to show us what is wonderful and delightful to free us from the mundane and the misdirection of our life, that we may know that which is infinitely desirable, that we might respond to this great revelation. And so I remind you, as I did last week, that Jesus has not come primarily to give you stuff. He has not come to enhance your life. He has come to reveal who God is, that you might follow Him rather than Him following you. And we see this throughout the entire testimony of Scripture, especially after Jesus is raised to heaven. We see the people in the book of Acts, and they're not following Jesus because they think it's going to make their life easy. They don't follow Jesus because they think they're they're going to get wealth out of it, or, or a, even a happier marriage out of it, or whatever people follow Jesus for these days. They don't follow Jesus because they find Him positive and encouraging. They follow Jesus because He's their King, and they have given their life to Him. He has shown them who He was, and they say, we will give up everything, even if it costs us our lives, we will follow you. Is this not evident in our brother, the Apostle Paul, who the Bible tells us, on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And that light was the was the revelation of Jesus and in response to this. Paul says, whatever I've worked for all my life, whatever I've gained, I now consider rubbish, it's trash, in order that I may have this one thing, in order that I might gain Christ. I want Christ, I've seen Christ, and now everything else is rubbish to me. I want Jesus. We sang of this uh, last week, one of my favorite hymns. Long ago we sang... Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. This is what Christ has come to do. To drop your chains and to shine his light into the dungeon of our life that we might follow him. We might follow him. Years ago, when I was living in North Carolina, a friend of mine came over to uh, my house and in the evening. His name's uh, still a friend of mine named Josh, and uh, Josh brought his new flashlight with him. He was pretty impressed with his flashlight, and, and uh, Josh is kind of a dork, so um, he wanted to um, show me uh, his flashlight. and so we, we went out up back and, um, and he was shining his lights, and um, I happened to be kind of a dork as well. so I went and got my flashlight.) Uh, Now, my flashlight is a three-watt LED flashlight made out of adonized machine aircraft-grade aluminum with an enhanced fail proof circuit driver. (laughs) So I was happy to go get my light, and Josh had his light, and we were shining. Just two grown men out in the backyard playing with their flashlights, whose light shined farther and whose was brighter, and if we shined it in each other's eyes, who would be blinder longest, and... And we just spend a, a half an hour or so comparing the relative merits of our flashlights. But you realize that no matter how great your flashlight is, it only works when it's dark? When the sun rises, you can't even tell they're working, let alone what's more bright than the other. I think this is perhaps an interesting parable about the dark world in which we live in. You see, we live in darkness and we go about our days comparing the relative merits in each other's lives who has the nicer house or the more successful career who's more worthy of praise and we think well this guy's doing well and this guy's not and we kind of put ourselves in order and we we go or spend our lives trying to get ahead and maybe catch up with this guy and that guy it's like a couple of dorks out back playing with their flashlights and when this sun rises we no longer care All of these things in which we held so dear fade away in the brilliance of the majesty of Jesus Christ. And we no longer care about these things for we have Christ. He has come to show us that he is the one true great thing. He has come to show us that he has created you to find your delight in him. He is the light that comes to darkness to shine his brilliance upon us his majesty and amazingly enough even though he is great and glorious and worthy of all of our delight you notice verse 5 that the darkness opposed him and the darkness it says was not over uh, has, has not overcome it well, some of your translations may say has not understood it i, I think they're probably both true the people of this world, they didn't understand him. They didn't get it. They, they didn't understand what he was trying to teach them or show them. And therefore, they, they tried to overcome him. In other words, there was opposition. It was failed opposition, right? The darkness has not overcome it, but there was opposition nevertheless. You see, they saw the light and they didn't ignore it. They, they fought against it. They hated it. They hated Jesus because of what he showed. In fact, he'll tell us in John chapter 3, you might want to turn over there, why is it that the light opposes him? Why is it the light tries to overcome him? In John chapter 3 and verse 19, we see, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And note this, and the people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light. Why? lest his deeds be exposed. He not only shows us who he is, he shows us who we are. He exposes us. It was in 1997 that Allegra and I were married and we, um, three weeks later, uh, packed up everything we could and and, and had and moved across country to what we thought was a little quaint country town called Durham, North Carolina. And we realized there are, rather quickly, that there are some not-so-quaint parts of Durham. And we happen to be living in one uh, we were living in one of these kind of sub-training apartments is all that we could afford. And the interesting thing is that we weren't the only ones living in that apartment. There, It was also inhabited with roaches. Um, and uh, there were um, roaches everywhere throughout the apartment. And, and uh, that, uh, well, that was interesting. Never experienced that before. And sometimes in the middle of the night when you're walking down the hallway, maybe to get a, something to drink, you would get lucky and step on one. And then there'd be like one less roach, right? So you don't have to worry about that roach. Um, but was it, what we found out rather quickly is once you turn on the lights they scurry rather quickly to the shadows. They, they run as fast as they can. In the darkness, they're fine. They don't run and hide at all. But once the lights shine upon them, they, they, they dart away, they, they flee. And I wonder if it's they realize they are so hideous that they actually don't want to see what they look like, and so they run away. The darkness hates the light because the light will expose its evil deeds. I, I wonder if we are more like cockroaches than we realize. We don't want the light shining on us, lest our, as Jesus says, our deeds be exposed. And Jesus came and not only began to reveal who Himself was but he began to reveal who we are and that we're missing the boat while we're trying to work our way into heaven and he says you can't do that you're all sinners you need grace you need me and they said no we don't want you we want to do our own thing and they fought against it the light fought against the the darkness but as he says here in verse 5 it has not overcome it right light and darkness are opposite but they're not equal wherever the light goes darkness is dispelled just a little candle in a, in a dark room will dispel the darkness Right, They're not equal forces. The only way for darkness to win is to snuff out the light. And it it tried to do that. It nailed him to a cross. And there put him in a dark tomb and rolled a stone in front of it that he might go away forever. And yet three days later he demonstrated he will not be defeated and burst forth from that grave, once again shining his light upon this dark world. See, it tried to stop him, but it can't. Can never stop him. He's too powerful and good and gracious. The light has come into this dark world to shine upon us. I wonder if that's good news for you. Is it good news that the light has come? (laughs) I wonder if you were out perhaps in your mind's eye in the middle of darkness, maybe on a hillside, darkness so deep you can't see your hand in front of your face. And there all of a sudden out of nowhere a massive light shines down upon you. Was that good? Well, it entirely depends, doesn't it? If you're lost, it's wonderful. It's great news. You've been found. But if you're a criminal, if you're hiding, it's terrifying news. You have been discovered. They have found you. Those are the, op- uh, the, the reactions to the light. Those are the reactions to Jesus. For some, it's the greatest news in the world. For others, it's terrifying. They try to get rid of him as fast as they can. This is what he is teaching. I wonder what it is for you. I wonder if it is good news for you or or not. In fact, even Christians who would say this is good news, we like to visit the darkness, don't we? I'm sure we, perhaps most of us, have that little dark place we go to every once in a while that maybe no one knows about it. That sin that we keep close to the chest and don't want people to become aware of that. I think you would do well friends to fight against this love of darkness that i think still lives in us by allowing other christians to poke around in your lives i wonder when the last time you confessed sin to a brother or sister is when you actually said i need to talk to you about something i'm failing here and i need you to know that i need help i need you to pray for me i need you to hold me accountable i hope in the future that this church in the soon future will begin gathering in people's homes throughout the weeks and community groups or small groups as we apply scripture to our lives and, and take an aggressive opposition to sin in each other with gentleness and grace. And I think we need people to help us to see this sin. I think you would do well to cultivate relationships that would, would bring out all of your deeds into the light. I wonder, do you have those relationships? Do you have people who poke around and ask difficult questions in your life? If you don't, it may be because you love the darkness, at least part of it. You see, this is how God exposes us. He exposes us through this light. I think you would do well, once again, to give someone permission to say, will you ask me hard questions? In fact, though Jesus is no longer here, right? No, he's no longer walking upon this earth and shining his light in that way or teaching and shining his light this way or working miracles as he once did and shining his light this way. The light continues to shine even though he has gone to heaven. See, it shines through you and I now as we secondly consider that the light is shared by witnesses we see this here in verse six that the bible tells us there was a man sent from god whose name was john he came as a witness to bear witness to the light i like this guy john i don't know uh, he's one of my favorite characters perhaps he's he's one of yours i very much look forward to meeting with him and spending some time with him of course, just for clarity, I, I don't know, I don't want us to be confused, there's actually two Johns here. Uh, we know that the John who wrote this book, we call this the gospel of John, is it was one of Jesus' twelve apostles. He was often called the beloved apostle. That's not the John he's talking about here in verse 6. This is John um, the Baptist, or John the the witness, if you like, the last of the old covenant prophets. It's interesting to note that, that every one of our gospels begins with uh, Jesus' origin, if you will, at different places, at different times. But when when they all begin to start about Jesus ministry they all start with the same place they all start with this man named John who was born of of a miraculous activity as he was given to parents who were aged and barren and he would there be born to him of course we know that he was a cousin to Jesus when Mary was uh, with child with Jesus, she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth who had John within her womb. And Elizabeth would testify to Mary that John, the baby in my womb, has leapt for joy in the presence of his Savior. In other words, even before John was born, he was uh, doing his prophetic work and pointing to Christ who was in his mother's womb. He was filled with the spirit even before birth and was testifying the best he could to who Christ was. Once he was born, he became a Nazarite, which meant he took a vow to do three things. One, to never drink alcohol. Number two, never to cut his hair. And number three, never to touch a dead body, which I think is a good commitment. I'm kind of on board with that one. Um, But this is what John did. He was somewhat eccentric. Uh, He lived out in the wilderness, the desert. It would be a hot and difficult place, a lonely place. Mark's gospel would describe him this way. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. I, I don't know if he dipped the locusts in the honey or, or how he went about that, um, but this is, this is what he did. This is how he lived. Can, can you imagine? You can think about what this man must have looked like in your, your mind's eye. This man who never cut his hair, who lived out in the wilderness. I, I just imagine a very dirty, hairy man with hair going everywhere and his skin leatherly and this big, full beard with a camel hair outfit without sleeves there munching on locusts and yelling at people from the jordan river and there he was he was this incredible witness this testimony that he would give john if it, you know, was never boring He's the kind of guy I think you like to have around. He was always exciting, always had something to say. He would act this way, not because he was insane, but because he was taking upon himself the mantle of a prophet. And many of the Old Testament prophets would live this way, especially Elijah, who himself would wear camel's hair and and was would live in the wilderness. And John would come in the mantle of Elijah and therefore want to draw that parallel. He wanted to show people that he was a prophet. In fact, Jesus himself would say of John, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing live in luxury and in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. And so John was a prophet who had this amazing commitment to Jesus. His commitment was seen in his humble life as he would declare that he is not worthy to untie his sandals. That he would declare that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. He's also a man of great and amazing courage that he would even be killed for his testimony to Christ. And I think this life gave him credibility to his message. Someone once said, preaching is the art of making a sermon and delivering it. Another disagreed by saying, why, no, that's not preaching. Preaching is the art of making a preacher and delivering that. And I think John very much focused on that. He he made a preacher, if you will. In fact, he was so devoted to Christ that Jesus himself would say in Luke chapter 7, and verse 28, amongst those born of women, none is greater than John. And here we see that God has sent him here. In verse 7, that he would come to be a witness to Jesus. He would come to testify to Jesus. And he would. In verse 27 of John chapter 1, he would say, Jesus is great. In verse 29, he would say, Jesus is the Savior. In verse 30, he would say, Jesus is eternal. In verse 33, he would say, Jesus brings the Holy Spirit. In verse 34, that Jesus is the Son of God. In chapter 3, and verse 31, he would say Jesus is born from heaven. He would say again that Jesus has all authority. And in verse 34, Jesus speaks the words of God. And again, in verse 35, that Jesus gives eternal life. You see, John had come to bear witness to the light, and he did so faithfully. This is how God is going to spread his light. It is through witnesses. And though you and I cannot follow in the footsteps of John in the sense that we could take up this prophetic ministry, that John is in some way a model for you and I that we too are to bear witness to Christ. This is how Jesus' light is going to be spread. He is going to use witnesses to do it. In fact, I find this little paragraph here about John the witness very interesting. For you know, verse 5, he's talking about the light. The light shines in the darkness, referring to Jesus. And then down in verse 9, he says the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So verse 5, he says Jesus is the light. Verse 9, he says Jesus is the light. But right in the middle, he has this very awkward passage about this other guy who's not Jesus at all, John. And the question I have is, why doesn't he finish introducing Jesus and then tell us about John? Why in the middle of this description about Jesus, he says, Okay, by the way, there was this man named John who came to bear witness. And friends, I think it's because he wants to emphasize from the very beginning of his gospel, the way that this light shines throughout the darkness is through people like you and I. It's through witnesses. The light has been taken up to heaven. But you and I here remain. We are to witness. Jesus himself would pray. I do not ask for these only, but, for, but also for those who believe in me through their word. There will become people who will believe through the word. It's our witness by which the light is going to shine throughout this world. John Piper, in commenting on this passage, says the light has come into the world, but it is not going to conquer this darkness the way a bolt of lightning brightens the night. It is going to conquer it by lighting millions of cold, dead human torches with the oxygen Of the gospel. There was a man who was sent from God. There was a person. There was a witness. There will always be witnesses. Like you and like I. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, You will be my witnesses. This is what we are to do. To witness to Christ. And I'm I'm somewhat happy, by the way, that we're not to be, if you will, lawyers for Christ. You notice that he says you're to witness now I think of a witness as someone who stands before a court and testifies to what they have seen, what they have heard and what they've experienced, just to tell people what happened to them. In other words, you and I are not called necessarily to argue a case or to win a point or to secure a verdict. We're simply called to testify to what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have experienced through Jesus Christ. We are to take the witness stand and say, this is what I know about Jesus. This is what he has done in my life. We are to speak about that which has changed us. And you do this all the time. You speak about the new restaurant you went to. You speak about the, the, your favorite movie that you enjoy. We, we constantly, us men, are constantly speaking about our sports teams. We are to, how much more should we be speaking about Christ? Testifying to Him, Him who has changed our life. We are to be His witnesses. But just in case we begin to think, well, it all depends upon us, I want you to see the sovereignty of God here in verse 6 when it says there was a man sent from God. You see that? That God is not just a saving God, but he is a sending God. God is going to use these witnesses. In fact, he's going to be active in sending these witnesses in order that his will would be accomplished. That he sends Jesus and he also sends forth people like John and people like you and people like me to bear witness. Jesus would teach us to pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He would say in John chapter 20, As the Father has sent me, even now I am sending you. He would speak to Paul in Acts 22 saying, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You see, God is a saving God and God is a sending God. He just does not simply provide a way of salvation and tell the world, Okay, good luck on finding it. No, he sends people who would witness and testify to this plan, this opportunity of salvation. You, friends, me and you are to be witnesses to Christ. I hope that perhaps God, through this text, would would burden you with this desire. He would begin to work in your hearts a willingness to be like our brother Isaiah who said, okay, Lord, send me, send me. I want to testify to what you have done in my life, to what you are doing in my life. there's some people, of course, that he will send to the nations, won't he? In fact, through the Southern Baptist convention he has sent 5,004 missionaries to some of the darkest places in the world he's sending people across this world we have an opportunity by the way to support that work next week as we begin to collect our lottie moon christmas offering that we may support our missionaries who are being sent by god that they may witness to the light but he's not only sending them, he's sending you and me. He's sending us to Loudoun County. He's sending you to your workplaces and to the golf course and to the sports teams and to your dormitories. And he's sending you to your classrooms and to your neighborhoods. He's sending us and he wants us to wherever he brings us to witness to Jesus, to have a word with, about Jesus. It may be sending someone down and sharing the gospel. It may just simply be a sentence testifying to what Jesus did in your life that day. He wants us to... Witness. Don't you want this for yourself? Don't, don't you want, when, you're, when your life is over, the, the race is run, don't you want there to be hundreds of people who would say, there was a man sent by God and his name was Stephen. That's what I want. Don't you want some young woman to look back 10 years to when she was a teenager and say, there was a woman sent by God to me 10 years ago and her name was Your name. Don't you want your neighbor perhaps to look back on his life a year from now and say, you know, there was a man sent from God and his name was your name. Don't you want there in maybe a decade or two there to be an unreached people group who now have bowed their knee to Jesus and for them to say there were brothers and sisters, men and women sent by God and they call themselves Hamilton Baptist Church. He wants to send us. He wants us to bear witness to Jesus. Why then will we keep our mouths quiet? Why will we keep our tongues still when we have been asked by God to testify to Christ? Has he done anything in your life worth testifying about? What a great honor it is that we may witness to our Lord Oh, may God work in us, maybe be be a witnessing church, not out of guilt or obligation, but out of an overflowing joy for what Jesus has done and who he is. We do so, as we see lastly and quickly, in order that the light, because the light is received through faith. You see what John is doing here, and we read on in verse 7, that all might believe through him. See, this is the witness. He's witnessing in order to bring out faith. See, believe through who? Through John. They're going to believe through John. And so John's certainly going to want lives changed and sin repented of. But ultimately what John is preaching for is he wants faith. He's after faith and and belief. He's sent by God to secure that, that people may hear his testimony and that they too would believe in Jesus. This is uh, the first mention of faith in John's gospel. He'll mention it almost a hundred times. I know I've read this verse to you a number of times, but... he will mention it once again in john 20 and verse 31 saying these are written so that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing you may have life he goes on in verse 8 he says he was not the light but he came to bear witness about the light that's somewhat redundant isn't it i mean we already said in verse 7 that he came to bear witness about the light what then does verse 8 add why does he put that here well The only thing I could uh, identify which is unique in verse 8 that isn't said in verse 7 is that first phrase when it says, he he was not the light. He wants to testify just to be clear that though John was pretty popular in his day, he was not the light that he has come to testify to. In fact, this is not the only time that John does this. You look down in verse 19. It says, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So that was said about him in verse 8. Now he himself is saying it rather emphatically. In fact, he would go on and they asked him, what then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And again in verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even who, who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I'm not the light, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. In fact, look over in John chapter 3 when when all of the disciples in which John had accumulated are now leaving him. They're going to the church down the street, to Jesus' church. They're all getting up and, and taking off. And some of those who remain with John say, John, aren't you concerned about this? Everybody's leaving you. All your disciples and, and followers are, are leaving you. Notice what he says in John chapter 30, John chapter 3, excuse me, in verse 28. He said, you yourselves bear witness that I have said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice therefore this joy of mine is now complete he must increase but i must decrease I- i'm not the light he is the light i cannot save only he can save i cannot heal only he can heal i cannot uh, uh, restore only he can restore you he points to Jesus, points to Jesus, points to Jesus that we might believe in Jesus. He lives for the glory of another. He lives to hallow his name and not his own. You see, that is why we are created, to honor and to glorify God, that we would find our joy and delight not in our own glory, not in our own advance, our own achievement, but in the glory and the magnification of God himself. This is what we are called to do. We are called to be an assembly of people who will point away from us and point to Christ. as how John describes himself. In fact, one last passage just before we end. You notice what uh, verse 22, these individuals persist back in chapter 1. And they want to really know who John is or who John thinks he is. And so they said to them, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So what will John say? Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He's a voice. That's what he is. He's a witness. One who will testify. One who does not exalt himself, but Christ. This is our calling. This is why God has redeemed you, Christian. In fact, the Bible says in First Peter chapter two that you are one, a chosen race, you are two, a royal priesthood, you are three, a holy nation, you are four, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so I wonder to whom has God called you to witness? To whom has God called you to bear testimony? Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's someone you go to school with. Maybe it is your neighbor. I pray that you would be faithful to speak of Christ as our brother John was faithful to proclaim. Christ. I think this, by the way, this Christmas season gives you incredible opportunities to testify to what Jesus has done in your life as people are already thinking about these things. And and you go to Christmas parties and you may be able to speak a word or two or even the whole gospel to someone about Christ. You may even want to invite someone out to lunch and say, I'd really like to tell you what God is doing in my life and be able to testify with them that they might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and in believing they might have life in His name. In fact, what we've even tried to help you with this, you're going to find out on the welcome desk in the foyer these invite cards. We've made uh, many, many of them. Grab 10, grab 20, grab as many as you want. These are cards that are going to invite people to our Advent services and to the Christmas cantata and the Christmas Eve service. And we want to just give you a simple tool. You pass this on to your waitress. You could give this to your neighbors. In fact, uh, we plan to bake cookies for our neighbors. Uh, By we, I mean Allegra plans to bake cookies. And (laughs) And uh, she's going to, she, we, someone is going to go around and give cookies to our neighbors and say, listen, we would like to, in this Christmas season, invite you to Hamilton Baptist Church. If you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You're welcome. And just simply hand that out to them that we might begin to more faithfully testify to Christ and we might witness to him. That's my hope. God would put this burden, this desire, this joy in our heart to open our mouth, to testify to Jesus. But maybe maybe you don't need to witness. Maybe you're here this morning and you need a witness. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're delighted that you're here. I hope you uh, found us welcoming. I hope you have found God's spirit here. But may I tell you, based upon the authority of God's word, that you may not enter into heaven after death based upon your own good deeds or keeping the Ten Commandments or any other lists that you might hold dear. The Bible says that you, like me, are, sinner, are sinful or sinner who have fallen short of God's standard. And the only way that we may enter into life everlasting, the only way we may be rightly reconciled with God, is if we would bow our knee to Jesus, place our faith in him. He has come to die on a cross in order to pay all the penalty of my sin and your sin. And three days later, He rose from the dead. And the Bible tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You could be saved today forever if you will simply trust in Christ. May I pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that there have been people like John... And thousands and thousands of others who have borne witness to Christ. I am a Christian today because someone bore witness to Jesus in my life. And everyone here is a Christian today because someone opened their mouth and said, May I tell you about Jesus? I want to be a people who speak about Jesus. And as I mentioned, not out of guilt or duty or obligation, but simply because we love him we can't help but to speak of what he has done. So help us. Help us to know how to do that. Open doors for us. Give us courage and boldness like our brother John to speak up and to testify. I do pray for my friend here this morning who has perhaps been invited by someone or maybe came here for some other reason and does not know you, has not placed their faith in you. Perhaps they know about you, but they do not live for you. They have not turned from their sin and bowed their knee to King Jesus Will you not help them to do so today, Father? Will you not cause them to be born again that they might have faith to believe in Jesus? Will you not place upon their heart a great burden, a conviction over the sin in which they've committed against you, the rebellion against their good and great maker, that they may turn from it and find life and light and delight and joy and eternal life found in Christ and in him alone. For it's in his name we pray, amen.